that grief for a child who has that hole for that grief to just fall through, it's not anchored in anything, then that's when you start to see the behavioral stuff or this intangible um, sadness and sorrow that they can't seem to move on. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and the persistent encourager. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own and I wished we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. And I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and to provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Anchors of Encouragement. Today I have a special guest I'm excited to bring to you. She is my neighbor from Hawaii, Dr. Lisa Hartwell. Dr. Hartwell is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety assessment and treatment. She is also a coach that specializes in high-functioning anxiety. Before I bring Dr. Hartwell on, I want to share a quick story with you, because I want you to understand the perspective I'm coming from to encourage adoptive parents. The tagline for this podcast is Biblical Mindset Support for Adoptive Parents. It's my goal to share with you my understanding of biblical principles and how they can be applied to the adoption journey. Early on in our journey, When we were beginning to experience behavior challenges with our son, well-meaning individuals would tell us, just get his nose in the book. I'm a firm believer in the Bible and what it can do for a person. I also believe in the great physician. But some of the challenges that the adoption journey presents to parents like myself aren't necessarily found in the book. And even the great physician said, those who are sick need to go to a doctor. So today I'm bringing a doctor on here to talk about some of the challenges adoptive parents face. Challenges that I have raised on this podcast. But Dr. Hartwell will speak about those challenges from a clinical point of view. As I said, Dr. Hartwell is a licensed professional. However, on this podcast, she is not providing therapy or medical treatment. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult your health care provider with your health questions and concerns. Dr. Hartwell, it's really good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so excited. Can we just do an aloha for everyone? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we'll go ahead and do, we'll do the touristy aloha for you. <laughs> um, I hope you get over here one day just to mm-hmm. enjoy our islands and our island spirit and the warmth that we have over here, especially for you folks over there freezing your okoles off. I know it's just 
sub temperatures in so many parts of the states now. So mm-hmm. we get to watch you on the news and empathize basically. With a smile oh, on your face. <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited to be here. And I would add to that. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I would also um, like to add that I'm also going to come at this as an adoptive mom. So mm-hmm. um, we definitely connect in that um, realm as well. But that doesn't mean I have all the answers as an adoptive mom or a clinical psychologist, but so I have just as many challenges as you folks out there, but I certainly have, you know, maybe two or three degrees of freedom of training that at least gives me the know-how. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm really excited to be here and help you folks today too. I'm a, a licensed psychologist over here. I also work in the court system as a forensic psychologist. I've been in practice for, oh boy, I'm going to date myself, but over 20 years, Um Oh gosh, over 23 years. We're in 2023, aren't we? And uh, 10 years before that, I was a registered nurse. I was a trauma nurse working in airplanes and emergency rooms as a flight nurse and emergency room nurse. So I come with a medical background, uh, re-specialized in psychology and then forensic psychology and clinical work along the way. So I have a private practice over here and a government job and a husband of, we get to celebrate 18 years next month. And uh, a 12 year old son. That's so cool. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had we had talked behind the scenes that we are both adoptive parents and you have an open adoption, which if you want to go back to episode 45, I talked with another adopted parent who has an open adoption. So you come at this from a little bit different uh, vantage point than I do, because ours were both of ours were private adoptions. But there's just a different dynamic to them. So you come at that from an open adoption. And as you said, your son is 12 now. One of the things that as we were were talking about ideas to share with my audience was this, this idea or this concept that adopted children have a chronic hold in their hearts. This is something that we weren't aware of until our son was in his late teens. And that's when it started to manifest itself in negative ways, as I've shared multiple times on this podcast. But when you and I were talking about this, this was something that you were educated on and counseled on early on before you even adopted. So can you explain this idea of a chronic hole and what that is in these children? Yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting visual, isn't it? It, it, That just hits to the core of when we find ourselves challenged. It just allows us to feel grounded and at least having a visual to have some empathy and understanding. And we, my husband and I joke that um, as much as we probably fought it back then, we, we called it our Jedi training. Mm-hmm. Um, the agency that we went with was, which is a nif- different state than Hawaii, was also private adoption, but it was through an agency. And, um, you know, the training taught us so many different angles of adoption. And one of the things that they always presented as a, uh, what they would call a successful adoption, which is that it goes through, is this idea of um, an underst- a true understanding of what the birth mother is going through, as well as what your potential child would be going through. And one of those ideas is not that it's a guarantee that they all feel like this, but there's this idea that's nonverbal, they're not able to articulate it, Mm-hmm. But they are are born with this a sense of obviously be ta- you know being taken from their original birth mother, 
and hand it over is this creates this space in time and that, you know, visually looks like a hole that's created for them that they can't seem to grasp emotionally as they age, you know, age their lives. Now, we don't really see that too much when they're younger, right? We got our child at, um, essentially at birth, about it was less than 12 hours old when we mm-hmm. um, got him in the nursery. And, um, you know, you just don't notice those things when they're little because babies are babies and attachment generally happens at that early on. And um, we had a healthy environment and, you know, we were obviously tickled pink to be chosen by her and be blessed by her and certainly was a part of our lives. So we never felt like there was a, an emptiness or anything missing and neither did he. As a matter of fact, we brought her over to Hawaii for his one year we have birthday luau's here. So one mm-hmm. year is, or is a big celebration, almost like a wedding. And it was very special to bring her and participate in that. So that whole, it doesn't really tend to usually show up. Usually you're absolutely right till teenage years. And sometimes that's usually related. To, I'm a bit of a developmentalist. So that idea of when you enter your teenage years, you're reconnecting to that identity of who I truly am separate from my parents. And that time is scary to explore that, especially if you're an adopted child who doesn't really have answers. We were very fortunate because we have we were very much educated on how to talk to our child at every age and stage of his life. So he has always known about his adoption. He's always felt very comfortable. It rolls out of his mouth. He shares it with his new friends and they're always a little bit curious about it. But he's very open about it and doesn't know any different. In fact, there's been a few times where he's asked me before, how can everybody make such a big deal about it? I don't think it's that big of a deal, you know. So that's cool. That means we're doing our job. Mm-hmm. But there are times when he has some reactions to especially loss in our lives. It's happened, unfortunately, many times in the last few years for us. We've um, lost some People have passed on, including his two uh, grandmothers, uh, both my mom and my husband's mom, uh, within a year and a half of each other, less than two years apart. So that was a really tough one for him. And that grief for a child who has that hole for that grief to just fall through, it's not anchored in anything, then that's when you start to see the behavioral stuff or this intangible um sadness and sorrow that they can't seem to move on. And so when we learned about that, the differences with my husband is I, we can see what's happening. And so the skill set of number one, being present, but then also not trying to frankly do anything. It's really about being present for them and allowing them to go through whatever they need to go through. But I think what you're always kind of, what what I, I heard you say is, um, at some point, how do we address this idea for kids who aren't as fortunate maybe as our son to be so tapped into having his anchor as us as his parents mm-hmm. and and pure clarity on who his birth parent is? I think that's kind of the, the big overarching thing. And I'll stop there because I kind of want to go back to what you said about getting your nose in the book a bit in, in just a second. But does that clear? Did that make sense? Yeah, it- I know when we were going through this, we didn't know what we were going through mm. because we had not been counseled on that. And we we had our home studies and we had just one of the most lovely ladies that you could imagine who 
guided us through the pregnancy. And I remember her talking about, you know, you need to understand what the birth mother's going through. And I remember I wrote it down when you were talking about that. She she shared an individual with us, a birth mother, who she said, I had never seen anybody cry puddles before. But when this woman gave her baby to the adoptive couple, she cried puddles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I remember when my oldest son's birth mother handed him to me, she broke down. Mm. So I know what she was going. Well, I saw what she was going through, understanding what she was going through. No, I'm not going to even try there. But right. I, I saw what she was going through. But this this hole in the heart we thought our love would fill well we didn't know there was a hole we thought our love would be sufficient uh, because we showered him with love we had family and friends who showered him with love but then we come to find out there's a hole we need to know you said a few things already that as they're developing our son and both of our sons have known from day one we've talked about adoption it's been a beautiful word in our family Mm. But there must be something else that we could have done, some tools that we didn't, we weren't aware of. Can you share some of those that might help as these uh, children progress from infancy to, to the teenage years? Yeah, it's just such a fabulous question. One of the things I think about when you were talking was one of the tools that helped me be grounded. And, you know, I'll probably share this on a different contact, uh, conversation is we actually had four failed adoptions yeah, before him. And that was coming off the heels of fertility and failed fertility treatments as well. Mm-hmm. And ectopic pregnancy, you know, just this really, this child was wanted. <laughs> and so by the time it happened, one of my very, very dear friends, um, who happens to be a uh, midwife and such, she said to us, these aren't our children. If you can get that through your head, these aren't your children. They're God's children. We get to borrow these children to raise them up the best we can as parents. And it just so happens that this happens to be not only the plan for the birth mother's plan, because she gets to have this choice. Um, That's one thing I wanted to kind of bring back to. There's nothing you could have done because that knowledge base isn't there for most people. Mm -hmm. That knowledge base is typically this is my child. This is my child and you're taking it away from me. And it's a different mindset when you step back and you think about, no, they're all our children. We're all raising them up together. And it just so happens in our, in our belief system, right? We believe that Mm -hmm. great father to be God. So um, not everybody has that belief system, but in that big realm, I just wanted to make sure I touched on that because from there you keep grounded in as they're growing through their trajectory of growing up, that becomes the creation of anchors. And in cognitive psychology, especially, we use anchors a lot. And anchors can be anything that is visual, is uh, auditory, so it's spoken, it's tangible, so you can touch it. Anything can be an anchor in cognitive psychology. And what that does, it provides you, when you think of truly what an anchor does for a boat, it allows it not to drift off to sea. And so when you're feeling like you're drifting off to sea, when you have that emptiness that you're walking around with, at least you know that you're not truly going to go any further than that rope is extended, right? As far as your anchor is keeping you um, steadfast. And so what happens is when you think about when you said the, um, I wrote it down, 
biblical mindset support for so many of us, if our faith is steadfast, our our Bible is one of our anchors. Mm-hmm. But children go through cognitive develop development, hopefully, and it's normal for them, especially during at pre-adolescence and adolescence. So maybe 10, 11, 12, usually all the way up till 17, 18, to question, question their anchor. If that anchor is going to slip, is it ever going to pull me out to see? I don't know if I necessarily believe what I read in the Bible. I don't believe everything. I don't, if that's the case, should I not believe everything my parents have been telling me? Because I still feel this hole. I still feel this emptiness. How come my anchor feels like it's slipping? So as parents, that's what you're trying to do. But when you're relating this to the child, it's a matter of supporting them and reminding them to fall back on that particular anchor and the creation of new anchors in their lives. So, for example, um, one of the ideas when we think about, let's just take something as simple as mindfulness, right? When I think of mindfulness, I think about, well, a lot of people say, well, it's about being present. It's about, you know, taking some deep breaths and all that. But I teach the sense of mindfulness of making sure that you can be, have an awareness of your body, that your body is still right here, right in front of me, look at me right now and know that you aren't going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. So that would be like a visual anchor, right? Mm-hmm. So, or unfortunately, I asked my my husband and son went camping this last weekend and we went out to dinner last night and grab a bite to eat. And I, I realized I didn't hug my son yet because they came home, they unloaded the truck, did laundry. I took the dog to his dog, his puppy lesson. And then I was like, hey, I haven't had a hug yet. Can I have a hug? So he reached over and he kind of did that awkward teenage thing. And he put his head like in my chest. And I said, what are you doing? I want a hug. (laughs) And it was so funny. I was just thinking because he's 12 going on 13 pretty soon. And he's in that awkward stage where touching mom and hugging mom and embracing Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily an anchor anymore. And so it's about shifting your parental expectations that his whole, if it does truly exist, no matter how big or small it is, he still needs that as an anchor. Now, it just so happens he's a teenager. He doesn't, he's going through that awkward stage of, you know, what it means to hug your mom in public, no less. Right. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm smooching all over his face. But so that would be an example of, you know, reminding yourself that at every age and stage that they're going through, these anchors might shift and grow and and move around. And so I, I kind of wanted to to speak to, even though that's important, the problem is, is most people will stay there. When you were talking earlier about nobody kind of told us about these things. Well, the mentioning and the the availability of having biblical principles around the house or in your life, you know, isn't enough. It's not enough. You have to go to the next stages, which is how does that that concept, how does that mindset align with the values that you're trying to teach your child? And I got news for you. It doesn't matter what values you have in your house. A teenager is a teenager and they go through normal developmental separation from their parents. And it's the time of their season of their life that they get to practice and they get to screw up a lot 
and that's okay. It's the only way to do it. No different than riding a bike or learning how to write cursive or mm-hmm. know, kids do that anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, <I> practicing, <laughs> yeah, practicing dating or anything. It's the same thing. But we have to always kind of bring it back to the anchor and aligning it with the values. And then that third step that I always teach is creating that toolbox of skills to get through life. And that is dependent on so many different things. It depends on your personality. It depends on, frankly, what kind of family that you exist in. It depends on resources. And some of those things might look like, um, you know, not everybody likes to write. So everybody always says, well, you know, use journaling as processing your feelings and and really digging deep and finding out what that that emptiness and that hole or maybe that grief and that intangible loss is. I don't know. There are, I don't know too many kids that like to write or even yeah. journal. Not mm-hmm. too many. But you know what I tell them to do? I say you like to talk. So the next time you talk, can we just push that record button on your phone? And I'm just going to push this button as you're talking to me and I'm just going to I'm just we're just going to chat about your feelings and then auditorily if they can hear that back that's the same thing as journaling just like when you're writing and you mm-hmm. read your journal it's the right. same thing so that would be one idea another idea would be um spending taking time quietly without talking which is so challenging for so many of us and just letting them talk. Go for a walk. Here, go to the beach. Go go do go to a movie. Go to dinner. But let them talk. I many, many times I'll have to tell our son, okay, that's enough. My brain, my my ears are tired. <laughs> I can't take in anymore. But it's their way of processing. It's their anchor to know that you aren't going anywhere, even though they might be going through that emptiness, whether it be something at school or friends or um, maybe how they're starting, their bodies are starting to change and how Mm -hmm. they look. Right. All of those shifts that happens is there's so many things that happens during that season. And that toolbox of coping with that has to be developed. And that's the time I always give the visual is just picture it. You got this toolbox over here and you're just adding to that toolbox your whole life. As parents, it's about having basically being there, helping your kids develop their own personal toolbox. Um, So I think that would be kind of it in a nutshell as far as the framework. But then when I think about what you're referring to is almost like a parallel process. If the parent doesn't have the training or even the knowledge base, how do they even know where to start? And then sometimes it's, it's, you feel like you're behind, you're getting behind the eight ball here of, well, they're already down the road. They're already acting out. They're already depressed. Um, maybe, maybe you take them to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something for a medical assessment mm-hmm. and they want to give them medication or even therapy. But then you're still at home dealing with this kid trying to figure out, well, how do I make them stop hurting? How do I do that as a parent? It's your time to start developing your own personal set of skills and your toolbox mm-hmm. and how to, and it's usually your own stuff, right? Yeah. And related to that. So I hope all that made sense. I felt like I talked in circles a bit. No, no, no. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of what you were saying 
brought back some memories. Mm. Um, not understanding there was a hole initially. I have said more than one time, I said, I've always been here. I haven't gone anywhere. But that's not necessarily good enough because in their mind, I'm talking about the oldest now, in his mind, nope, somebody did go. Mm-hmm. Somebody did go. They they gave me away. Now, yes, you've always been there, but when are you going to go? And, you know, we got to the point in our life where he was the prodigal and it took a while for him to come back. And I, I just made the statement. I never left. I've always been here. You know where, and I told him, I said, you know where I am. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready, I'll be here. Mm-hmm. That was hard, but that was, I guess what you're saying, being the anchor. I yes. said, you know, I'm, I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. And you know what I stand for and what, you know, what mom and I stand for and our values and everything. And it took him a while to come around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to his credit, he he has said, I can't believe I did what I did. And, you know, it breaks your heart because the deck was stacked against him from day one. Yes. And. Not that every, and we, you, you, you clarified this or not every kid is going to go through this, these mm-hmm. kind of things necessarily, but to some degree, they all have a hole to some, mm-hmm. to some degree and it to help find them, find these anchors that can, can help them. And when you said that we had talked about this ahead of time, you know, I, I said, okay, you're talking about anchors in cognitive psychology. That's what I need because I'm anchors of encouragement with biblical principles and you're bringing mm-hmm. the cognitive psychology. I mean, there's right. a good mesh of and a marriage of those two ideas. Mm-hmm. And there was something else you were talking about, the journaling. And I'm glad you you gave some other options because, you know, my oldest, who he didn't journal <laughs> to, he was forced to. Yeah, exactly. But, but now we just recorded an episode where he talks about, he knows how beneficial that is for him. And mm-hmm. now the way he, he gets around it, because, you know, just to, to start writing is just like, uh, but if he's writing song lyrics he can touch feelings. There you go. And he can, he can do it that way. So he's, he's found a way to make that as his anchor and he knows when he needs it. And I've tried to be the example for him to journal every day myself. I saw what it did for him. I saw Mm -hmm. how it turned the lights back on in his eyes. And when the, the therapist told me that he was liking himself again, and I thought, you mean he didn't like himself? And she said, no, it broke our heart. But she said, he, he's, was journaling to touch those feelings. And so I started doing it. And now, as you said, parents, parents need to be able to find, to help work on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, that's been a good uh, process for me to discover a lot of self-discovery for me. But if he sees me doing it, I'm hoping he'll say, okay, if dad's doing it and I know I do it, you know, this is this is legit stuff. And so let's let's keep at it. So that's what I'm hoping to do. There's so many things we can talk about here today. If there's one other thing I could just ask you, because when you were talking about these anchors in cognitive psychology and you talked about journaling, you also mentioned something else that clinically, I think, helps people to put um, a definition to this. You talk about neurons being 
uh, mm. the pathway in neurons and stuff. And I'm, mm. I probably have butchered that, but can you elaborate <laughs> just a little bit on that? Just so people can understand there is science to this that yes. people need to be aware of and can start to implement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm a neuropsychologist at heart. I, I love the brain. I've always been a science nerd. Uh, the brain just fascinates me. It probably comes from my nursing background and see, you know, traumatic injuries uh, can actually heal. And, mm-hmm. and most of them, you know, it's, it starts in the brain. You have to believe that you can heal in order for that to happen. That's probably where my roots are. And when you take the basic construct of cognitive psychology, which is here's, you know, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and how they integrate. And this is how you change your goal. You know, and this is where you want to be. Well, underneath that, and this is the reason I love teaching neuropsych to clients is it, it distances their own personal behavior and feelings into something that can be related and accounted for by a brain process. And within our brains, everyone already knows that, you know, our brains are made up of neurons, which is essentially one cell next to each other looks like tree branches at the end of the day. When you do a scan, that's what it looks like. And then from there, when you understand that, let's just say, I want you to learn Chinese next week. Well, I'm not going to come up to you and say, I'd like you to say to me, how are you doing in Chinese today? I'm going to have to teach you how to say how. I'm going to have to have to teach you how to say are, Mm -hmm. right? It's one neuron at a time. And one of the things that when you look at everything that you're referring to with anchors, with journaling, with with conversation, with walking, with mindfulness, all that is, is neuron pathways being built. And when kids are born, all they know is this basic structure that is waiting to be grown. And so if you're thinking that the same brain that they have as a teenager is the one that they had as a baby, which is they look at you with such loving eyes and you're the, they're their world. Mm-hmm. It's a developed brain that has now has this core issue of a primary loss of their birth mother. Okay. Being separated. And so that core neuron pathway is already there. It's never going away. All of these other experiences, and of course, we're on a podcast, so you can't see my fingers here, but (laughs) taking that idea is building those tree branches from that original that original experience stop don't let's not label it as traumatic or anything it's just an experience that this particular baby had mm-hmm. we are taking that and building neuron pathways for the rest of their life and it just so happens this is where the beautiful part is kids are going to be kids it doesn't matter if they're adopted or not they still have their other neurons over there that are trying to grow up have the emotional development their faith development, their cognitive development, their physical development, all of that. And then you layer that on top of that same neuron pathway. It looks like a hot mess sometimes. That's why it feels challenging. But the positive part is of what I like to distance the kids from it is say, guess what? You get to be in charge of your neuron pathways now. That's the exciting part. Mm -hmm. That's the exciting part. And it is no different learning a language, learning a sport, learning music, learning um, learning to like new different kind of foods and tastes. 
They're all experiences that create those neuron pathways that are attached to previous ones. That's the cognitive psychology piece of you get to interpret of what that has. We put that meaning onto mm-hmm. that. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I can start to see where understanding the science part of it, how you can start to take the biblical principles and intersect and add on to those layers and help to yes. redefine because you are what you think. Yes. And if yes. you can, you can think on certain things. You know, I believe as Philippians 4 says, you know, the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your heart. So mm. that heart that has the hole in it, mm. God promises that if you think about things, he will help protect it. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge with those kids who have no concept of God or their, their concept, I should say, of God is, well, I can't see him. I never saw my birth parents and they abandoned me. Why is God going to not abandon me? Yeah. No. Right, right. Well, I think what you're touching on um, of the the reconciliation and one of the goals of intervention is always about congruence. And there's a, a, a congruence between, wait a second, you're telling me this, but I know what I know. Mm-hmm. I know what I feel. And there it is not congruent at all. In fact, I feel quite incongruent. And until you can kind of reconcile that incongruence you feel as a human being, that's when you have true growth and, and, you know, you can essentially implement the biblical principles. But until that time, it's, it's, you're trying to reconcile the brain from saying, you're lying to me. I know what I see. I know what I feel. Mm -hmm. And, and so then there's no other choice, but to have a primitive response of protection which is the brain at work to say, I'm either going to get angry at you. I'm going to be upset with you, or I'm going to run. I'm going to get away from this because it's way too incongruent for me. Mm-hmm. And so that, those are the behaviors. That's the cognitive CBT, the cognitive behavioral part of the intervention. Those are just behaviors. But underneath that is that, that core incongruence of, I don't know what's going on in my head or my body or anything. <laughs> How do I reconcile this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a, another friend of mine that uh, I'm going to be sharing her story here in a f- few episodes. And she talks about micro steps with macro patients. Mm, and, I love that. And I really think with the patients, if I could say one thing to other adoptive parents that I've learned as I look at this more so in the mirror is that these kids need a lot of grace. Mm. And when, when you have, you know, regardless of what people say about you and stuff, as far as your parenting skills or lack of thereof, as people have told us, mm-hmm. you still have to be there and be their advocate. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means standing up to people and say, listen, you need to back off my kid because mm-hmm. they need, they need some grace right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what I've found at, at times has had to happen, you know, yeah. these kids yeah. because, well, that's just loving them. And, and I feel that added weight when I have promised some other person that I'm going to parent their child. I know there's a responsibility regardless if it's biological or not, but I just feel that added commitment that and responsibility that, you know, I've, I've got to really try to be there for them when they couldn't. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of where I come from. 
Uh, I love that. I, the, uh, and I'd like to add the encouragement part of your tagline, which is, and you don't ever have to explain why. Mm-hmm. You never have to. That's something I think adoptive parents take on, that you somehow have to explain, over-explain, giving your child grace because of X, Y, and Z. It's really none of anybody's business why. Right. Yeah, And I, I just want to be encouraging to say that because I think sometimes we have to stand in our own parenting power sometimes as adoptive parents that yeah. sometimes you just need to give grace and I don't have to explain why. Yeah, this has been really good. And I want to mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on here and, and helping explain this stuff in ways that, you know, I'm not qualified to do. And I, I hope that our listeners have have really taking notes with this and go back and re-listen to this because you said a lot that I, I believe can help to give these parents the tools they need and help them to understand how they can be the anchors for their children and really help them to navigate these different challenges they go through and, you know, as they develop. So thank yeah. you again so much. And as oh, we gosh. conclude, can you just tell people how they can find you and if they want to work with you or uh, however you want to to do that? Yeah, I would love to be an encouragement in your world too. Just my website is probably the easiest way to find me when book in anytime, drlisahartwell.com. So it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I do have an assessment, an anxiety assessment on there too, that helps people that might help ground parents in where it's showing up for them the most. It's very specific questions that I designed. That's on my website as well. So that might be a tool that you can use to say, hey, where am I in this journey? And mm-hmm. um yeah, I'd love to. We're all in this together. We're going to raise up these kids and take over our role one of these days. Well, it, it's it's good to have neighbors like you that can help us navigate these these challenges, mm-hmm. because, as you said, it takes all of us to do this. And 100%. you're able to bring this expertise with uh, your clinical background to really help us understand this process. So thank you yeah. again so much for joining. Thanks us. for having me, Tim. It's been amazing. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I found myself taking lots of notes as I listened to Dr. Hartwell speak. If you know of other adoptive parents that this episode could bless, please share the show with them. It's my hope that this podcast can be used as a platform to educate adoptive parents with some of the tools that we can use to better parent our children. Please check the show notes out for the contact information for Dr. Hartwell, as well as the anxiety assessment tool she mentioned. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.